um, few years ago, we uh, took our children to see The Lion King. If you haven't seen The Lion King in the theatre, um, it's really worth seeing The Lion King. And you have characters coming up on the stage. You know, you've got Mustafa coming up, the father of the young baby cub. And then you've got Scar coming up on stage. And he's also a big player in the whole story. But he always focuses back to the cub. Always focuses back to the lion king. The whole story does. And if you've been following me for the last few weeks, you know that we've been looking at some big characters in the whole Easter story. We looked at Judas Iscariot. And we also looked at Peter, Simon Peter. We also saw Barabbas last Sunday. And all these big characters. But there's a a central figure that comes all the time in the whole Easter story. And the center stage has to be given to Jesus Christ all the time. And as we look at our passage, I've entitled this message, um, Rescuing a Sinner. Rescuing a Sinner. And so the first um, heading, if you open your Bibles to Luke 23, the first thing I want you to see is the weight of sin. The weight of sin. Here we read in this verse, verse 26. As they led him away, they see Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country, and they laid a cross on him to carry behind Jesus. Here was a man coming in from the country, Simon, and they laid Jesus' cross on him. And I asked myself the question, why did he have to carry Jesus' cross? Because there was another two criminals also being crucified, but no one carried their crosses. Why was this man carrying Jesus' cross? And as I contemplated that, I I, I realized that Jesus received some unusual, harsher treatment than anyone else during that crucifixion and flogging. None of the other Men, the other two criminals, and all the other criminals in the past. None of the other two criminals went through what Jesus went through physically. We see that Jesus had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. They put a purple robe on him, then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They didn't do that to anyone else, but they did it to Jesus. We also read that um, the soldiers mocked him because of his faith. We see the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. In fact, he went on to say that they cried out um, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Um, they twisted a crown of thorns and set on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. It seems to me that the whole trial of Jesus was focused differently than the trials of the other criminals. Even this verse here, they said many other insulting things. To him, they really laid it thick on Jesus, and for this reason, it seems 
that Simon was called in. Jesus had been battered. He had been mocked. He had, as I said, crown of thorns on his head, blood running down his face. He's been flogged. It's been an awful time for Christ. And when it came for him to carry his own cross, he couldn't do it. The other criminals were able to carry their cross to the place called the skull. But they looked at Jesus and they saw how mangled and how weak he was. He couldn't carry his own cross. And so we come to those simple words here. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Very simple in Luke chapter 23. They came to the place called the skull, the mountain side, and he just says very simply, they crucified him there. Jesus will be remembered, we'll be remembering what he said in Psalm 22. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me, they're pierced my hands and my feet. That's in Psalms. That's in the Old Testament. Here was Jesus now. He knew that the soldiers and and people around him were mocking him, putting the crown of thorns on his head. They're a a, a band of villains. They're a band of, of, of dogs, as it were, completely surrounding him. And as Luke just simply puts it, they crucified him there. As Jesus was laying on that cross, these words may come through his mind. They have pierced my hands and my feet. It's very worthy to note that Jesus was a strong man. He wasn't no pushover. It's amazing how our society will push a Jesus that is weak to you. They will push a Jesus that is frail and that is, that is weak and that is, is, is got no strength. But I want to tell you this morning, Jesus was a strong man. He was no pushover. And his strength was right there on that cross. You know, there's a story of a friend that I know, a, a guy. He, um, his son was working underneath a, um, a Range Rover. The Range Rover was jacked up and his son was working underneath this Range Rover. He wasn't very far away. But anyway, the jack on the Range Rover gave way. And the car fell on his son's chest. He was about 18 years of age. The car fell on his son's chest. As he was screaming underneath the car, the father went over to the car. And with all of his strength, as his child was screaming, one believer, this guy lifts up. A Range Rover. Just enough so that his friends can pull his sons out, his son out from the underneath the car. It's a true story. I know the guy. That is strength. We say that is strength. But what Jesus is doing is far greater in its strength. For he was handling not the weight of a car, he was handling the weight of sin. Can you believe what weight that must have been? He was handling the weight of sin. And Jesus himself is bearing the sin of the world. What strength we see in Christ. And so we look at him now. 
And he's bearing the weight of sin. He's bearing your weight. And he's bearing mine. The weight of our sin, the sin of Golding's church, that would be enough to crush anybody, let alone the weight of sin of the whole world. But the second thing I want to say about Jesus from this reading, the weight of scorn. It's amazing. The, the amount of people that scorned Jesus. is actually amazing. When you read the account, you see so many they couldn't help themselves. They couldn't resist it. They had to ridicule, mock, and scorn him. It's amazing. Look at what was going through the passage. The people stood watching. And the rulers, the first of all, the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he's God's Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. So the rulers sneered at him and mocked him. If that wasn't enough, you would have thought the soldiers would have just let it go. You know, the soldiers were interested in religion. But the soldiers came right in. The soldiers also came out and mocked him. He offered him wine vinegar. That wasn't even enough. They slandered him. They made sure they put a, a written notice on the cross. This was written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. That was slander right there. Right over his head. This is the king of the Jews. Look at your king. Crucified. Look at him. He's on the cross. Again, another insult. Doesn't even stop there. You think that's enough. Surely there cannot be any more. Giving him more insult. But there is. One of the criminals who hung there. His dying breath. Hurled insults are at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. It's amazing how many people, even with their dying breath, the dying breath had to curse and mock Jesus Christ. You know, Job's wife, in the Old Testament, Job's wife, she mentions this to her husband. For some reason, she said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity why don't you just curse God and die? It seems like cursing Christ, cursing God. We live in a day when it's so easy and so popular to curse Jesus. I don't understand why. For no reason, people will speak against Christ. You would have thought that Jesus was Hitler. You would have thought Jesus was Stalin. You would have thought that Jesus was David Cameron or something. You know, people just curse him for no reason. And that's What's happening for no apparent reason in our day and age. You know it yourself. People will curse Jesus Christ. And if they don't curse him to his face, they will use his name as the curse. It's amazing. Why? Why are so many people in our society bent on doing what happened at the cross? You had the rulers, you had the soldiers, you had men even dying, cursing Jesus. Why today do we have the same thing? Well, there's many reasons. One of them, I believe, because Jesus describes himself as the light of the world. That's what he describes himself as, as the light of the world. You know, light's a good thing. I heard an account of police 
raiding a nightclub. And the first thing when the police come and they raid a nightclub, the first thing they do is turn the lights on. And when they turn the lights on, the atmosphere changes. Everything changes. Those who were underage drinking in the nightclub, they start worrying. Those who got drugs and passing on the little drugs around, they started worrying. Those who are doing things that they should not be doing in that place, the light comes on, they stop, they start worrying. And as soon as the police turn the light on, everything changes. Because the light comes on in that nightclub. Look what the Bible says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. I believe the reason why our world hates Jesus so much is because he describes himself as the light of the world. But you know, light's a good thing. I mean, a friend of mine lost his cross behind his bed somewhere. He couldn't find it anywhere. His wife came in and she turned everything upside down looking for his little bit of cross. Couldn't find it. And then she decided to bring a torch into the bedroom. And as she flicked the torch around the bed looking for this cross, there it was glittering behind the bed. The light brought it out. I'm still old enough to remember when we had power cuts back in the day. I was only about six months old, but I still remember that. We had power cuts in our day. You know, it used to be quite exciting, you know. But, you know, my parents always had candles. As soon as the power went, you know, that street went. They always had candles, and they put the candles on, and, and light came in to our rooms. Light's a good thing. And yet, when Jesus says... The eye and the light of the world. He wants to shine his light into your life, which will be a good thing. It will expose things in your life that needs to be corrected, that needs to be forgiven, that needs to be sorted out. It will expose. In fact, we as a church, we say, Lord, Jesus, shine more of your light into my life. More of you, less of me. More of your light. Less of my darkness. The more light I have of you, the less of the darkness I have in myself. We should be craving and crying out that Jesus will pour out more of his light into our lives. The reason why the crowd scorn Jesus, because they love darkness rather than light. And the reason why in our generation, men and women will scorn Jesus and use his word, his name as a curse and a swear word, is because they love darkness rather than light and their deeds they want to keep hold of their deeds lest it be exposed but Jesus is the light of the world we looked at the weight um, first the weight of scorn the weight of sin and finally the weight of sorrow and this is our close the weight of sorrow as I come to a close I'm so glad that there's just one man in that story that did not follow the crowd. I'm so glad that in this story there's just one man who didn't go with the flow. Everyone was scorning Jesus. He heard it in the flogging 
area. He heard it in the prison. He heard it on his way, walking maybe in front of Jesus, we don't know, maybe behind Jesus, but he heard the crowd scorning him. He heard it when they were putting nails on the, the hands and the feet of the men who were being, he heard it all the time. And when he hung on that cross, he was hearing it again and again and again. And he could so easily say, I'm going to go with a flow. I'm going to go with a crowd. And I'm going to curse Jesus to his face. And I'm so glad that there's one man who turned around and said this. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. I like what this criminal says, this, this man here. He says, we are getting what our deeds deserve. He himself knew that he was a liar. He was a cheat. He stole. He maybe even be a murderer. We don't know the extent of his crime, but whatever the extent of his crime was, it was bad enough for him to be on that cross. And he said, we are getting what we deserve. This is what we lived our life. We knew that when we went into crime, we knew that if we got caught, this is what will happen to us. We are getting what we deserve, he says. But this man, Jesus, this man did nothing wrong. You know, there's a story only in March of a man called Ricky Jackson. Ricky Jackson served 39 years in prison for a crime he did not do. And only recently, a 13-year-old boy, when he, got, when he got convicted, it was a 13-year-old boy who said, I saw him, he committed a murder. 39 years he got on the witness of that 13-year-old boy. Well, as the 13-year-old boy grew older, he recanted and he said, I didn't see anything. And so this man who spent 39 years for murder in prison was set free. He was given a million pounds, but that can't really buy you back 39 years. But, you know, he was given a million pounds. But 39 years, he comes out and he can say, I did nothing wrong. I didn't commit that murder. That was a great relief. But here, we see this man pointing to Jesus. And he says, you see that man? He's innocent. There's no guilt on him. We deserve what we're getting. But this man, he's absolutely innocent. And his final statement is even more amazing. I think his final statement is the most amazing statement which this man made. He says this. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's an amazing statement, you know. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, as I was preaching a few weeks ago, you see, he saw a king on the cross. Pilate did not see a king. The soldiers did not see a king. The rulers and the Pharisees did not see a king. Even the disciples and the women who were mourning and weeping and wailing behind him did not see a king. But this man on the cross turns around and says to Jesus, remember me when you come into 
your kingdom. Wow. A question we need to ask ourselves is on the cross. When you think about the cross, who do you see on it? Do you see a king being nailed on the cross for the sins of the world? Or do you just see someone in history, a man that historians said lived and died under the Roman rule, and that's it? You could take that side. Many atheists have taken that road all the time. He's a nice man who got nailed to the cross. And many people here can take that view. But I want to tell you, if you want to take the view of this criminal, then the Holy Spirit needs to get a grab a hold of your heart. The Holy Spirit has to give you an understanding. No other intellectual person could understand it apart from the Spirit of God revealing it to you. He didn't reveal it to Pilate. Even though Pilate said to him, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate turned around and said, well, are you a king? He had no concept that Jesus was a king because the Spirit didn't reveal it to him. But on the cross, not in the palace of Pilate, but on the cross of a criminal, the Holy Spirit revealed to this man that next to you is one who has a kingdom. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me. I've been a criminal. I've been a sad figure all my life. I have no time to do anything. I've got no time to do any work for you. I've got no time to please you by my life. I've got no time to speak to anyone about Jesus. I've got no time. My breath is, is fading. My, 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 my life is ebbing away. I have no time. But Jesus, remember me. That was enough for Jesus to say, today you will be with me. Praise God for the king. Praise God for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That one that was nailed. But praise be to God. He didn't stay dead as we've been singing. The one, three days later, was proven by the resurrection that he is Lord of all. Maybe Lord of your life. As Christians, may you go out today thanking God that you know the king. May you go out today thanking God that the spirit has given you understanding and you know Jesus. May you go out rejoicing. But if you don't know Jesus, then the fact is that the spirit of God has not revealed him to you in power and in clarity and in revelation. Let's pray.